the reading of the scriptures from Isaiah 66, beginning in verse 20 to the end of the book in verse 24. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. As I'm sure most of you are aware, uh, the world uh, has uh, lots of problems and uh, has lots of solutions to their problems. Uh, and sometimes those solutions are uh, any number of recovery programs. Uh, in Isaiah this morning, we will learn that God does not recover us uh, he recreates us. And uh, the larger uh, theological lesson is that God will act and restore Israel. He will recreate a people uh, and they will fulfill uh, all of the designs of uh, Israel uh, in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, most uh, recovery programs uh, in our culture relate to some form of addiction. And I'm not against any of those. Uh, it's not a sermon against uh, uh, worldly solutions to worldly problems. Uh, again, have their place in their time. Uh, Israel, of course, is addicted uh, to apostasy and idolatry. And yet, we know from the Old Testament that God will promise uh, to bless her. Uh, the great Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12, uh, he will make of Abraham a great nation. This text describes how that uh, promise is going to be fulfilled. Uh, in the book of Isaiah alone, we have the great promises to the servant's son that he will see his offspring. This text is a fulfillment uh, of that promise. Uh, because God is true to his word and will make a new Israel in a new creation. Uh, this, of course, is no recovery program. Uh, it's rather a sovereign act of a sovereign God who simply creates and a new nation will come into being. Uh, it's a reminder that he alone creates. Men discover. I'm all for the discoveries of men, particularly if they help mankind. Uh, God doesn't discover. He creates. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 8, uh, the grass withers. Uh, but the word of God will stand forever. It's because God is going to create by his word a new nation. That, that text and, uh, and its fulfill ultimate fulfillment, of course, is here in our verses this morning. 
Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11 is the promise that God can bless his creation. How does he bless his creation? With the word of God. Uh, the word goes forth from my mouth, will not return to me void, but it shall accomplish everything uh, that I purpose for it, wherever he sends it. It's a great reminder to all of us that we can hope in the word of God uh, because God will bless his word. And whenever the word goes forth, it's going to accomplish exactly what God purposes, nothing more, nothing less, really nothing else. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17, a great text reminding us of how God is going to recover his creation, not in some program, he's simply going to create it. Uh, 65 verse 17, behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, ultimately, uh, and this is a, a radical thought, but ultimately that fulfillment is in Christ, uh, beginning with a spiritual creation in his resurrection. It's exactly the theology of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse uh, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. You could establish, I think, that that's an allusion to Isaiah 65, verse 17. I make a new heaven and a new earth. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The new heaven and new earth has begun in the death and the resurrection of Christ uh, when you believe in him. Uh, another text that speaks to this is uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 and 16. Christ is the firstborn of the creation. All things were made by him. All things were made by him. Whether uh, uh, dominions or thrones, uh, whether physical or spiritual, all things came into being by him, are for him, and are through him. That is the new creation begun at the resurrection in Christ. We'll think oftentimes in American church theology in those terms, but we need to because they're biblical terms, and we ought to think God's thoughts after him. Uh, so the new creation has begun in Christ. Uh, fulfillment has started in him. In the programs of the world, there is self-recovery. In the faith, Christ recovers us by making us new. He simply recreates us. Uh, you know, by the way, if you're not a Christian, uh, the point of the gospel is that you don't go out and reform yourself. That's an impossible task. It's a worldly task that really uh, garners uh, none of the blessings of God. I'm not saying it's not a worthy task in terms of American culture and bettering mankind, but it is not emphatically a divine task, and it cannot avail. All, all your works will become undone. Uh, so you need, you need the creation begun by Christ and his death and resurrection. You need to believe and hope in him alone. You need to forsake your works for his divine work uh, in the new creation. Uh, and your, your works will follow uh, as the products of his grace. That's the new creation. Uh, that's the gospel. The believe and hope in Christ alone. And the creation, remarkably enough, is uh, remarkably enough... Uh, based upon his original purpose. What was that for the nation of Israel to witness to the glory of God to the world, to the Gentiles? 
the witness of uh, the nation of Israel to the glory of God eventuating in a worldwide gathering of Gentiles. That was the original purpose of the birth of the nation out of Egypt. The key is witness. Uh, let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 19 and 20 uh, because that, that has a beginning fulfillment. From Israel to the Gentiles. And I will set a sign among them and will, they will send survivors from them to the nations. Tarshish, Put, Lud, uh, Mashek, Rosh, Tubal, and Java, Javan to the ends of the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. So the recovery given uh, to the nation of Israel in their birth from Egypt is now being fulfilled. They go to the nations. Verse 20, Then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord. So the original purpose of uh, the nation was fulfilled, and they go to the Gentiles. That's the reference to the brethren from all the nations. Israel to the Gentile nations. It's fulfilled now uh, in a worldwide gathering of the Gentile nations. Uh, I simply remind you in a simple word of application, that is witness. What is our original purpose on this earth? The witness. The world tells us otherwise. The world tells us that we should gather all types of things and they will make us happy. Uh, that we should fill this account and that account, and we should prepare for this event and that event. And again, all of those things have a place, but the greater place in all of our hearts is to witness to the glory and the majesty of the only God. That is our purpose upon this earth. Our world is uh, given hell-bent to fulfill itself with the things of this world. We are to be otherwise. Uh, let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Uh, that is, uh, it speaks uh, to this in its own way. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. And I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things which has not been done, saying my purposes will be established. Uh, that should be true of our individual lives as it is true of a recreated Israel, that his purposes would stand in our lives. And by the way, what is that? To witness to his fame and glory. Uh, the original commission to uh, the nation of Israel uh, post their birth out of Egypt is uh, found for us in the book of Exodus, in the 19th chapter. Um, so Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. That's their commission, a kingdom of priests. They're to be priests, to go and to witness to the glory of God. And a holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Of course, the nation of Israel failed at that, and that failure is documented in their apostasy and idolatry in the prophecy of Isaiah. But it's going to be fulfilled. In fact, I would commend to you the reality that it has been fulfilled. 
And so let's turn to the book of the Revelation that speaks to that fulfillment in our own lives. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 is an allusion to Revelation, pardon me, Exodus 19.6. So we have a commission to the nation of Israel. Now let's look at its fulfillment. It has to be fulfilled, does it not? Because it's the word of the Lord. Let's look at the fulfillment in Revelation 1.6. He has made us to be a kingdom Priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new Israel has been recreated by the sovereign power of the creative acts of the word of God, and we fulfill those original purposes. In a new Israel, we are the kingdom and the priests of God. And what are we to do? To go and to witness to his fame and glory. So, Israel in the flesh failed. Israel in Christ succeeds. And the new Israel goes to the nations as missionaries and bring their brothers or Gentile believers, notice verse, verse 20, the first part, as a grain offering to the Lord. By the divine power of the new creation, Israel secures the original purpose of her creation. How could it be otherwise? It's the word of the Lord. God ordained it to be so. There is failure everywhere in the prophecy of Isaiah, but there's also success. Here is the success. In the acts of judgment, in the purging of the nation, a remnant is birthed anew by the divine creation and goes to the Gentiles and gathers them for the glory of God to secure the original purpose of the creation. By the way, that's nothing more than the theology, the history, the church, and the book of Acts. Gentiles, pardon me, Jews going to Gentiles. Now, perhaps one of the first fulfillments is our Lord Jesus. He goes to a Roman centurion and captures him in the power of a miracle. The miracle of faith, the miracle and the healing of his daughter. It's just not a story about the power of Jesus. It's not just a story about a Gentile coming to faith. It's a story of the original purposes given to the nation of Israel being fulfilled in him who is quintessentially Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Servant song, you are my servant Israel. The new Israel has now been stood up and Gentiles are being plundered. The offering, it's very interesting that uh, Isaiah uses uh, the word offering because in the gathering of the Gentiles, it's captured in the language of the cultists that we are an offering, a tribute of people to the glory of God in his saving power. Uh, so we become uh, the offering. Uh, it is the theology of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 12. Uh, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That is a way that this text is being continually fulfilled. In the Old Testament, they bought bulls and goats and doves and uh, grain offerings and thank offerings. Now, 
in the creative power of a sovereign God, we are the offering. And we're to present our bodies a living offering. It's no longer bulls and goats. It's uh, people coming to faith and presenting their bodies as uh, uh, a spiritual sacrifice for the worship of the one true God. Uh, the Apostle Paul expresses this in his own life, Romans chapter 15 and verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul is fulfilling the mandate of Isaiah 66. He is a Jewish believer gathering Gentiles, plundering the nations of the world, ministering as a priest of the gospel of Christ, that my offering, that my offering for the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Gathering Gentiles is an offering to the glory of God. Application to us who are Gentile believers of evangelism. Uh, why do we engage in evangelism and the preaching of the gospel to, to, to the lost? Because we are an extension of uh, the mandate uh, to Israel fulfilled in Gentiles and we're to go and do likewise. That's why we do evangelism. Uh, we testify to the glory and the fame of the majesty of God that there is but one God and no other God. And there is salvation in no one else except the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah describes the conveyance in Isaiah chapter 66 in very unique terms. We wouldn't use these terms today, but Isaiah uses the only language of his, of his own vocabulary. But he describes the conveyance of Jews, a recreated Israel, who've come to faith in the servant son, going to the Gentile nations, and the result in an incredible conveyance of massive numbers. Uh, look at his language. As a grain offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters, on mules and on camels to my holy mountain, and then he uses uh, the parable to the house, house of the Lord. Uh, it's a massive conveyance. It's like in the preaching of the gospel, men and women, children, young and old, uh, get on board the great train, if you will, to believe in Christ, and to go to the house of the Lord, uh, to the new Jerusalem. It's as if uh, God secures uh, every conveyance of public transportation in the plunder of the Gentile nations to gather them. The numbers are so massive. John says they're like the number of the sands in the seashore. I know many of you have gone to the beach and you've counted the sand on the beach. No, I mean, you can't. I mean, you, you simply would run out of time. You'd still be there. I know you would like to be there, but you're here. Uh, but the numbers are massive. And that's how they're conveyed here. Mules and horses and chariots and litters. Uh, we could say planes and trains and taxi cabs. The numbers are so great. I know sometimes we are fearful to share the gospel. Look, they're going to come. God's going to grant the gospel success. It may not be at that time. 
that the gospel is going to have success. And that's the point of this massive conveyance in transportation and the language of the prophet. And all are brought to the holy mountain or the house of the Lord. The New Testament defines this so that we should interpret the old by the new. Turn with me to the text we've looked at a number of times. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. If you are a Christian, you've placed your faith in the servant songs of Isaiah and the Lord Jesus Christ of the forgiveness of sin and guilt, uh, you have been conveyed to a geographic reality or geographic terms. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, but you have come. Notice the tense of the verb. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. It's no longer a physical geographic reality. It's a spiritual reality. And that's what the author of the book of Hebrews says to the heavenly Jerusalem. The fulfillment, if you will, of Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 20. In the words of the prophet, my holy mountain, the house of the Lord. A reference to, of course, uh, uh, the temple. But now it's an end time temple that's been stood up, the heavenly Jerusalem. If you're a Christian, you have been conveyed there. Your name was on its rolls. You are a citizen. In Christ, your destiny has been secured in the death and resurrection of the firstborn from the dead. So, illustrate this, if you will, from the book of Acts, that is the fulfillment, Acts chapter 5 and verse 31. An event occurs that's a bit troublesome to some Jewish Christians. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as the prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Uh, now let's, let's uh, turn to chapter 11, verse 18. Promise to Israel. What happens in the book of Acts is Peter takes that message uh, to Israel. And then there's a radical change in Paul to the Gentiles. Uh, Acts chapter 11 in the 18th verse. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Previous text, it was to uh, Jews. He granted to Israel the repentance that leads to life and now he's uh, granting it to Gentiles. What? What is he granting? Repentance that leads to life. Uh, by the way, we call people to repent of their sins. It's a duty. It's also the gift of God. We repent because he changes our hearts and makes us new. Uh, notice uh, the phrase in Isaiah chapter 66. It's most, uh, most instructive. Uh, uh, in verse 20, first of four occurrences in this text, says the Lord. How do all these things occur? How is it that 
Israel is recovered in a remnant that goes to the Gentile nations to gather them as an offering and sacrifice to the glory of God because God says it will be. And when God said something, it will be. Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The word of the Lord. And so it occurs. How could it be otherwise? If it is in any way otherwise, God is not God. But he is God. And therefore it happens. Because, uh, because he is God. God declares it will be, therefore it will be. It must be. Uh, we need to recover in the life of the American church that the word of the Lord is sovereign. And we need to recover that application in our hearts as we convey it. Men and women and boys and girls, young and old, are going to come to faith uh, because God will bless his word. I'm not saying all the time and every time uh, because that is in the hands of a sovereign God that we represent him and we represent the word of the Lord and our confidence should be not in programs, in recovery programs. We represent a higher power, the word of the Lord. And the creation, interestingly enough, in Isaiah chapter 66, this new creation of a new Israel, of Jew and Gentile becoming one, uh, is vacant old distinctions. In the old covenant, the law made many distinctions separating people and services. That is now removed in the new creation. And it speaks to radical change. Isaiah 66, verse 21. I will also take of them a reference to Gentiles. I will take of them, notice the radical change, for priests and Levites. And notice the phrase, second occurrence, says the Lord. In the Old Covenant, the priests and Levites were reserved for the family of Aaron and the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi taught the people the word of the Lord. The family of Aaron represented the nation before the cultus and the holiness of God. God's recruitment of Gentiles and making them one with the servants of the cultus is unprecedented, except in the prophecy of Isaiah and the fulfillment in the grace of God. Notice again, this is so radical in our thinking today. Uh, that Gentiles will become priests and Levites. Meaning what? That they are now one with the nation of Israel. They pick up the same calling of the old covenant mandate to the priests and Levites, but now it's fulfilled in a radical way in Christ, the true Israel. Unprecedented change and privilege. Many people today believe that there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple and a re-standing up of the cultus. I, I can't change that. I can only tell you Isaiah speaks otherwise. It's fulfilled in Jews gathering Gentiles who become offerings to the Lord, who become priests and Levites. Now, in the Lord, in the new creation. Let me give you another illustration of this as remarkably profound in its beauty. Isaiah chapter 56 and verses 3 and 6. In the Old Covenant, many people were excluded from the house of the Lord in priestly service. 
For example, if you were a leper, you would never get there. Except, of course, in the coming of Christ, who makes all things new and who heals lepers. By the way, that's not just a miracle of the healing power of God. That's the new Israel fulfilling the divine purposes to Israel and making all things new. But I love the words, Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 and 6. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Of course, there were Gentiles that came into the kingdom of God in the Old Covenant, but it was very, very small numbers. But now foreigners are bid to come, and they won't be separated. Notice another radical change. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and hold fast my covenant to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. In other words, they enter the end-time temple, the house of the Lord. Previously forbidden in the Old Covenant, now the walls are torn down and they flood in. And a name better than the name of the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Unprecedented change fulfilled in the new creation, a new Israel. Occasionally I meet someone that says, you know, Phil, if you only knew how evil I was, you couldn't preach the gospel to me. Well, here's the answer. Foreigners and eunuchs are bid to come, and God makes them new in his power. And by the way, all of us were profoundly evil, and only Christ made us righteous. Opens the door of his end-time temple that we might worship him as priests and Levites. Eunuchs and foreigners are no longer disqualified. And notice, notice again uh, how the text ends in verse 21. Says the Lord. How can these things be? Well, because the Lord says it will be. Uh, divine fulfillment occurring and manifest power, the Word of God. The creative Word of God. I speak lots of words in my life. I create nothing. I wish I had creative word when I was raising my teenage sons. I would have been much more effective. But that's the power of God. That's why we hope in the Lord to resurrect our sons and daughters in the new birth and to make them new in the new creation in a greater Israel, a new Israel. That God makes the changes and overturns the old order for the new. And his word affirms the reality of this radical event, says the Lord. It's a beautiful text that describes the fulfillment of this in the words of the theology of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. So then you are no longer, he's speaking to Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. His household is the end time temple. Gentiles now are a part of it. Unprecedented in the old covenant, but now a part of the new creation. And the creation is perpetual and ongoing. While I'm not a social scientist, I suspect the recidivism rate and uh, all recovery programs is very high. People have a way of returning to their old haunts and ways. Not so with God. His reformation is effective and perpetual. Why? Because he creates, and what he creates will stand. 
Uh, I'm always amazed uh, in our culture, particularly the environmental movement, uh, they're so worried about us killing this earth. Because they have no hope in the creative power of God. God created this earth. He'll end it in his time and in his way. I'm not saying we go abuse the creation. I used to be in the chemical business. I didn't take my chemical trucks out and uh, spill refuse on Oklahoma dirt roads. Not only a violation of law, but wouldn't be a good steward of his creation. We are stewards of this creation. But by the way, we won't undo it because he created it. We cannot undo his creation. But his new creation is just as perpetual and effective. Uh, the promise uh, proclaimed in verses 22 and verse 23. Isaiah 66, for just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. Notice the third reference, will endure, declares the Lord. It's a different verb than says the Lord, but it's the same reality. The Lord declares it to be so. And it shall be from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me. Notice the final reference, says the Lord. Do you think any of this is in doubt? Lots of Christians believe it is in doubt. Uh, the fact that the perpetuity of the new heavens and new earth is transposed upon his servants. Uh, God is the creator, is the difference. The creating and enduring anticipate a future event, which in my mind is inaugurated with Christ as the firstborn of the new creation. And what he started will endure. One of my favorite texts in all of the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. God who has begun the new creation will perfect it. It cannot be undone. If he started it, he will finish it. Because none of his works can become undone. They cannot unravel. He has begun a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. We'll perfect it. Not maybe. We'll perfect it. Because he's a sovereign creator, his creation will not unravel or fail. It's interesting if you look at the text. Uh, in the New American Standards, I will, uh, which, that which I make will endure is literally the verb to stand. God's going to stand it up and it'll never fall. Probably it's better to translate it endure, but the literal word is he's going to stand it up. It'll never fall. He stands up his new creation. It'll never be undone. The Greek translation has the verb to abide or to remain. One illustration of this, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, we've come to a kingdom which cannot be shaken. God will shake the entire physical creation and destroy all who are outside of Jesus Christ. Everything will fall. Everything will unravel by the power of his word, the coming of the Savior. But we belong to a kingdom which will not be shaken because we are in the new creation, unshakable, stood up forever. Notice again the phrase, says the Lord. 
The creative word affirms the beginning and the end, the start and the finish. Now notice, notice the transference from the creation to its participants. So your offspring and name will endure, verse 22, will endure. That's the same verb, to stand. God's servants are going to endure. It all speaks to the perpetuity of the creation and its inhabitants as one and the same. Most Protestant denominations, well, no, most every denomination in Oklahoma City, outside the Reformed community, deny the security of the believer and the perseverance of the saints. Because this text is not in their Bible. Or because when they read this text that is in their Bible, they cannot read it for what it is. Isaiah says they will endure, they will stand, they will not topple. And therefore all of the participants in the eternal glory of the Son of God and the new creation will endure perpetually and cannot be undone and will not unravel. We cannot. It's not just that we will not fall from the faith. We cannot fall from the faith because God created us. And in the word says the Lord means that we will endure. For most in the Christian community, the creation is temporal. It can and will fail and unravel. That's opposed to the theology of the prophet Isaiah. Well, it's worse than that, <laughs> the theology of the entire scripture. I love the great doxology Jude, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, who will make you stand in the presence of his glory. Everywhere else in that short epistle, everyone is slipping away, not those who belong to the Lord. He causes us to stand. He makes us to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Furthermore, their service is perpetual, as perpetual as their existence. Notice the language of Isaiah. There shall be from moon to moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Month after month, Sabbath after Sabbath, the servants will continue to go and worship the one true God so that the creation has come to its end point by the divine word. Notice, uh, notice the text, verse 23, says the Lord. You see, my friend, if the word of God can unravel, then everything can unravel. In fact, uh, I would commend to you the sad reality that we are really wasting our time here this morning, but it is otherwise. When God says it's going to be so, it's going to be so. It cannot be otherwise, because he is God. When God speaks, it happens, it comes into existence. And what comes into existence by his word, by divine fiat, will endure uh, because it's his word, his reality, his creation. All who are in Christ are safe. And they are uh, the result of uh, Jews plundering the nations and Gentiles coming to the faith, being stood up by the power of God, witnessing to the fame and the glory of God, and fulfilling uh, the mandate of the Great Commission. That we achieve in the new creation the end established by God. 
Uh, the text, as you know from its reading, concludes with a warning, a dire warning. This is not true of everyone. If you're not a Christian, if you're not placed your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, uh, you have another end. I've been describing the end of everyone that's part of the new creation. But there's another end. Last verse of the last chapter, prophecy of Isaiah. Then they shall go forth and look on the corpses of men who have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all mankind. Everything outside of the new creation or outside of Jesus Christ, who's the firstborn of the new creation, will come to a perpetual ruin. The righteous will behold it. They will see the victory of God over their enemies, that God has triumphed. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, Mark, in his gospel, quotes this text in the context of a lesson on discipleship, Mark chapter 9. Uh, speaking of uh, the demands of following Christ, uh, which the new creation does, uh, he says, if your, uh, your hand causes you to sin, speaking hyperbolically, he says, cut it off. Better to enter the kingdom maimed uh, than to uh, go into hellfire and damnation uh, where the worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched. Terrifying words. Speaking to the importance of discipleship. And by the way, if you're part of the new creation, you're a disciple of Christ. You're not just some special product of the church. You're a disciple. You're a follower. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 44, 48. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Again, high metaphor, hyperbole, reminder. Something causes you to stumble, get it out of your life. Burn the magazines. Unsubscribe to the television program. Get away from the person. Whatever the case might be, that's what it means to cut off your foot. Uh, or if your eye causes you to stumble, to pluck it out. Better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. A reminder that Mark believes in an end-time reality of those who are outside of the new creation, that their worm will not die and the fire will not quench. Again, in Mark, it's the demands of discipleship and sin. Uh, notice the phrase from Isaiah, who transgressed against me who laughed at the word of God, who paid it no mind, who gave it no heed, who walked by the church, who tore up the gospel tract. They're in a bad way. The imagery presses for the perpetuity of punishment. The previous context was the perpetuity of the standing up of the end time creation temple of God. Now it's the perpetuity of punishment. Uh, this uh, theology of uh, unquenchable fire, interestingly enough, is found in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 31. Could it be that we have two bookends here? Unquenchable fire in chapter 1, unquenchable fire in the last verse of the last chapter 
the prophecy of Isaiah. Everything in between, therefore, becomes radically important. Believe in the servant's son. Follow him. Witness to his fame and glory. It's interestingly to, interesting to me that the worm is one of the lowest life forms of the entire creation, now in dominion over kings and princes and men and women and boys and girls who knew not the Lord Jesus Christ. Knew not the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an illustration of this in Acts chapter 12. Herod is preaching a sermon and he sees himself in the cries of the crowd, the voice of a God and not a man. It's idolatry. And Herod believes his own words. And by the way, it's a very dangerous sin. Be, be very careful of writing your own press and believing it. We do that often in the world today. Oftentimes men try to make themselves out to be great when they are not great. Only God is great and good. And notice what the text says, verse 23, And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and he died that the worms have dominion over those who are outside of Jesus Christ. The imagery here is likely from the Hinnom Valley, which is a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, where there was a perpetual fire to burn the garbage as a metaphor for hell. There's another one in the book of the Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 15. The Apostle John says, and outside, outside the city, outside the city where the redeemed live, where the new creation has come to its final reward, outside that city are the dogs. It's a vice list. But the last vice list is in the liars. Who are the liars? Uh, professing Christians who are false. This is much of the context of the book of the Revelation, trying to awaken professing Christians that their service to idolatry makes them false. Outside, John says, the liars. This is a powerful reminder in the second half of uh, uh, the book of uh, Isaiah, uh, chapter 48 and verse 22. Uh, there is no peace, says my God to the wicked. Notice the phrase, says my God to the wicked, no peace. They will never know peace. They will only know perpetual uh, separation from the one true God. That's repeated again in 57.21. No peace, says my God to the wicked. Well, God saves us from this. Uh, God recreates us in power and purpose. I'm all for the recovery programs of this world. But God doesn't recover us. He recreates us to fulfill his original purposes, to enter 
the heavenly Jerusalem. It's proclaim the greatness of his fame and glory, world without end. That's the creation that lasts and stands. Let's continue to fulfill it. Let's live with such a purpose and fulfill the end for which God has made us. And may the new creation and all of its boundaries grow until it covers the world as the waters cover the seas and the glory of God is seen by all.